Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house on this his day, a beautiful day. Would you stand and join me for the call to worship in your bulletin? We have been raised with Christ. Let us therefore set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As we come together as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, let us clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We will forgive even as the Lord has forgiven each of us. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people who have gathered in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, who is so worthy of our praise. Meet us where we are, grateful, hungry, needy, and striving to be all that you want us to be. Through the ministry of your Spirit, your Word, and the table of the Lord, do a new work amongst us, your church. Today we pray. Amen.
a great way to uh, begin our service today, celebrating God in Christ. We're so glad that you are here, and uh, we're going to take, take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here, a word of peace, perhaps introduce yourself to someone that you don't know. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention uh, in your bulletins, this Wednesday evening is the beginning of our uh, children's ministries for the year. Uh, children, uh, the clubs are starting Wednesday at 6.30, and uh, there are programs for ages 2 through 6th grade, and so we please take, take note of that if you have children in those age groups. We love having your children and bring others with them, and it's, it's a great program. It, it's always difficult to see uh, the young people who grew up in our church uh, leave to do other things, but it's always exciting to have the opportunity for, to hear what's happening in their lives when they come back. And this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Zach Smalley. He and his wife Erin are, are working at a, at a ranch in Colorado, and he's going to share a few moments about the ministry that they have there. Good morning. I just want to say thank you very much uh, for this opportunity to talk to you guys today. Um, my name is Zach Smalley, as Pastor West said. My wife Erin couldn't be here right now. Um, she's back home in Durango, um, and we're expecting our first child in February, so she's getting as much rest as she can right now. Um, if you don't recognize me, maybe you know my parents, Bob and Lori Smalley. Uh, they brought me up in this church, and uh, it's just a privilege to be back here and, and to kind of share what God has been doing with us recently. As Pastor West mentioned, um, we're missionaries in southwestern Colorado at a ministry called Crossbar X Youth Ranch, and we work with socially and economically disadvantaged youth uh, to teach them about the gospel, to bring them uh, to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We uh, work with kids ages 8 years old and up. Uh, we work with children from the Four Corners area, so kind of locally around Durango, as well as from the cities of Denver and Phoenix and Albuquerque. Uh, we get kids from all those cities. Uh, we do two main things. We do summer camps, um, obviously during the summer season. And then during the school year, we do what we like to call camper follow-up, which is a lot of um, discipleship and mentoring. We do some retreats for our campers, uh, some coffee houses and Bible studies, those sorts of things, um, to stay in touch with them and to encourage them in their faith all year round, just not, uh, not just in the summertime. Uh, it's truly an amazing ministry. Um, our number one goal in everything that we do is to present uh, the kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want the kids to leave camp in the summertime uh, with an understanding of what the gospel is. And then the rest of the year we can reinforce that um, through the relationship that we build with them. Um, as you can see from the pictures up here, we have a lot of fun activities at camp. There's a high ropes course. Uh, we have horses and a lake. Uh, we take the kids out hiking and camping. Um, but, again, all of it is to point back to the gospel and to build a relationship with these kids. Um, there are two times a day when they hear a gospel-centered message, um, once in the morning and once in the evening, and then informally throughout the whole day. Um, we do this uh, because we can keep our camp sizes really small. 
we only have 200 kids per summer, um, which, you know, some camps do 200 kids in a week, so I think that's pretty special. Um, but our, our biggest camp this past summer was 35 campers for a week of camp. So we get to know the kids individually a lot, uh, spend a lot of time with them, and then during the off-season we have, you know, kind of a friendship relationship with them that we can build off of from there. Um, another really cool thing about Crossbar X is that they're committed um, to making camp affordable to any kid, no matter what their economic status. Most of our campers only pay a $40 deposit to come to a session of camp. Um, for the high schoolers, that's a nine-day camp. For the younger kids, it's a five-day camp. Um, and even if a child can't afford that, we work very hard to get uh, donors and supporters to uh, sponsor a child for a session of camp. Um, again, relationship is the key um, to all these things. Um, and building that with them through the summer program so that we can work with them throughout the year. Um, we also do as much as we can for the campers' families as well. Uh, these kids come from some very uh, sad backgrounds. Um, we get a lot of our kids from the foster care system. Um, a, a lot of them come from divorced families, um, single parent. Um, some of our campers live with relatives because both of their parents are either gone or deceased. Um, these kids come to camp with a lot of hurt. Um, and much like uh, those of you that are familiar with Royal Family Kids Camp, um, very similar to the kids that we see at Crossbar X. Um, and camp is just an amazing place to kind of leave that behind, step out of that environment, um, be surrounded by caring adults that have the gospel as their um, foremost thing that they're interested in and uh, to learn about Jesus. Uh, it's an amazing privilege to work there. Um, my wife and I are so blessed um, to be there. Um, and I want to share with you a verse um, that kind of, I think, explains what we're trying to communicate to our kids when they come to camp. Uh, it's from Titus, chapter 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's our prayer for our campers right there. Um, again, I want to say thank you. Um, thank you to the church. This place has been very important in my own spiritual development and, and continues to, to support from afar. Thank you to all of you that are part of our financial support team. Um, and thank you all for your prayers. Um, if you're interested in more information about the camp or um, maybe you know somebody that would be interested in counseling or interested in joining our support team, I'll be in the back of the church after this, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Thank you again. Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, far too often we are more interested in conflict than in peace. We fight to get our own way. We wrestle for recognition. We argue in order to prove that we are right. We are typically more concerned with winning than with loving. Our attitude creates conflict, tension, and much pain. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Give us a new vision of the Prince of Peace. 
Open our hearts to the Holy Spirit that makes us more interested in compassion and grace than in perfection and judgment. We ask this in confidence, knowing that you hear us and that you forgive us through the mercy of Christ. Our Old Testament scripture is the great call to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Here's the word of the Lord. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Stand with me if you can and sing the doxology as the ushers come to take our offering. Praise God. Lord, you've called us to be your people, to be a blessing to this world. So we bring these offerings as part of our worship and to touch the lives of others inside and outside of the church. Bless these gifts for your kingdom's use. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
continue in that spirit of prayer. We have the opportunity to offer our prayers to God collectively. And I'm going to invite those of you who'd like to come to the altar and pray. And I'm also going to ask Zach to come and kneel here. And perhaps some of you uh, would like to gather around Zach and to pray for him. And to remember he and Aaron in our, in our prayers as they goes back this week to their ministry. I think it would be nice for a few, whoever would like, as many as you want, to come and just gather around them as we offer our prayers together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would breathe your breath upon us. Fill us with your spirit. Change us. Transform us. Make us new. This morning as we come asking this, we pray for the, the needs and the burdens of our lives that cause us to struggle and to wrestle with so much that comes to us in life. This morning we pray for all who are grieving today and ask for your grace and mercy on each of them. We pray for all who are who are dealing with physical issues and we, we pray for Dave Doherty. We thank you that he is home from the hospital after his fall. We pray for David Heisinger. Thank you that's making progress in his illness. We continue to pray for Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown, for Florence Tuber, for Bunny Austin, and Mike Raybuck, and Jill Tyson, and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts and minds today. We pray for all who are wrestling with decisions about the future and anxiety and fear and shame, and we ask that you would bring healing to our needy souls. We pray for our world. Think of people in the world who are trying to recover from natural disasters and war and violence. We think of the refugees in Europe. It breaks our hearts. We pray for solutions. Father, we pray for the people of Haiti as they are in this time of these months of the election process and we ask that you would bring peace and stability and justice in the midst of potential conflict. Pray for missionary families working there from a variety of organizations and ask that you would bless them and help them. Pray for Zach and Aaron. Thank you for their ministry at Crossbar. We pray, Father, that your grace would be upon them. Help them as they have come through the summer of camps to continue 
the relationships and the connections that they've made with these young people, and we pray that you would anoint them with the ability to know what to do and to make these connections and to see the fruit that you alone can bring. We pray for your grace upon them in every way. Father, thank you for your work in this place, for the work in the surrounding places, for your mercy and grace in each of us. Give us the ability to see you with new eyes. And we ask this through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the risen Lord, the returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 22. Acts chapter 4, 8 to 22. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you, healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to speak or teach, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
This is the word of the Lord. Before my friend became a Christian, you could talk to him. He was normal. Now every conversation is condemning something about my lifestyle. All he does is keep telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. I can't believe the church has turned him into this kind of negative person. I hate working on Sundays because that's when the Christians come in. I feel like I'm a project around my friends who are Christians. 
Why would I go to a church? They've already thrown heaps of guilt on me and condemned me before I've even stepped my foot in the door. Christians are so opinionated. The church is full of just a bunch of angry people. Church people think that they have all the answers and are more than willing to give them to you whether or not you ask for them. I feel like I have to fit into their mold before I'm really welcome in the church. The church is judgmental and negative. Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. If all of that is true, if that's a, the way people perceive the church, then the church is in trouble. I'm just glad no one ever says those kinds of things about us in our church. This is a sermon today about other churches, other people. Okay, just so you know that. You know, it is kind of frustrating sometimes. Because we can't control everything people, everything people perceive about the church. People perceive things about the church because of what they see in the media, because of what they hear from the loudest voices. And it's frustrating because we are as uncomfortable with some of those things as they are. But all we can do is try to be a witness, try to represent Christ where we are, with the people in our lives. And that is our calling. Jesus says to his disciples, one of the last things he tells them is, you will be my witnesses. You will represent me to the world. And it feels like, it feels like far too often, we're not doing as well at that as we should. Why is it that we give people so many reasons to perceive the church negatively. What exactly are we doing? How are we making that happen? I, I think sometimes it's because we're, we're more interested in, in our agenda than we are with connecting with people where they are. When I look at, at Paul in Acts 17, he goes to Athens and he walks around the city and he sees all the idols and he's appalled and he's deeply disturbed by it. And then when he meets with the people there, he doesn't say to them, look, you people are idiots. What is wrong with you people? You're all, you're all going to hell. You're all sinners with all these idols. No, he goes to them and says, I can see that you all are very spiritually minded people. It's obvious to me that, that, that the spiritual condition of your lives is important to you. You, you have idols and shrines, and, and you're concerned about worshiping all over the place. And in fact, I saw one idol with the inscription to the unknown God. And I, I want to talk to you about that. I think I have an answer for you about that. And some of them believe, some of them don't. But we can see in that one moment how Paul connects with them where they are instead of trying to, uh, to get them to come to him. 
start with where he is. He starts with where they are. And I think sometimes we, we have this mindset with people that, that they are um, sort of a project instead of a relationship. And even sometimes when we, when we enter relationships with people, there is an ulterior motive. It's not because we just want to be friends, but it's because we want to be friends so that we can tell them about Jesus. Now, granted, we want to tell everyone possible about Jesus. But it's not hard to tell if the purpose of friendship is some hidden agenda or if the, person of, or, or if the purpose of friendship is just friendship. And sometimes we get caught into that. Tim Keller says, we talk about friendship evangelism. Let's just talk about friendship. Let's just talk about relationship. Let's just talk about loving people and building relationships. Because here's the thing. Once you begin to build a relationship and a friendship with people, the things that are most important to the people involved in the relationship will come out. But they come out organically. They come out naturally. It's not because of a hidden agenda. It's simply because this is an important part of my life. And as we build friendships with people, things that are important to them come to the surface and come out in our conversations. And things that are important to us come out in our conversations. And the building of relationships and friendships creates an atmosphere in which people are much more apt to care about what we care about because we care about what they care about. But the reality is, even if people never give us the time of day, if they never, when talking about Jesus, if they reject everything we say about Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that we remain friends. Because we didn't become friends in order to convince them of something. We just became friends because we care about them. We love them. A pastor was talking about their church wanting to get involved in a big community event. It was a parade in their town. And so some of the representatives, including the pastor of the church, went to the open meeting to plan this event. And when he said, you could tell, as soon as they walked in, the people running the meeting started getting real nervous. You could tell in the back, you could see the wheels turning of what's their agenda. Why are they here? And so they start talking about, look, this is not a time to propagate. This is not a time to hand out things. This is not about, this is just about the event. And he said, I got the feeling they were thinking that when he said that, we would all get up and leave because that was our hidden agenda. But it wasn't. We tried to help them understand we were there because we love our town. We think this is a really good event and we want to try to help to make it as successful as possible. He said the most amazing thing happened is that as, they, as the weeks went along and we planned and prepared and helped with it, and, and it was clear we had no hidden agenda, he said these folks became a lot more interested in the church. A lot more open to just who we are. And I think that's the case. Sometimes we have this sort of salesman mentality that our goal is to get people to sign on the line when our goal is to build relationships so people can see Jesus in us. One of the problems with, with what we heard on these, this video is that we create a negative image, not just about the church, but ultimately about God. Because for most people, their view of God is connected to their view of the church and to the view of Christians. 
And it's not just, well, people are upset, negative about the church, but they can work around that. It's awfully hard for people to work around to get to God when they can't get past the people who claim to be followers of God. And we create barriers between us and them and the gospel. Now, it's just not watering down the gospel. We're not talking about you know, something that we say, well, we don't, we don't ever talk about Jesus and we don't talk about the hard things of Jesus. We don't talk about the truth of Jesus. No, the reality is we're simply creating an atmosphere like we see Jesus doing and like we see the early church doing in which people are open to hear about Jesus. And often it's not so much what we say as how we say it. When you look at the disciples here in this fourth chapter and, and well, the third and fourth chapters both and throughout the book of Acts, when they, they're called in in front of the council, the council people, the leaders say they were, they were amazed at their courage. And it's courage because they're not afraid to talk about Jesus. They're all over the place talking about Jesus. But they're also, they've also stunned their critics because what can they say? Here stands this gentleman who has been crippled and now at 40 years old has been healed. How do you argue with that? How do you think negatively about people who are doing good for others selflessly? And there is something about that mindset. Of, of the attitude and the spirit in which we communicate the truth of the gospel. When Richard Mao was here, he talked about um, how we often put civility at one end of the spectrum and, and our convictions at the other end of the spectrum. And we tend to see them in some ways as mutually exclusive. And as he was talking about that, he said something that just grabbed me. He said, he asked this, this question I thought was profound. He said... Why can't civility be one of our convictions? Shouldn't civility be one of our convictions? I mean, how we treat people, shouldn't that be at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus? I mean, we've all seen it. People who are so enamored with speaking the truth that they believe they have the right to say it any way they want to, in any form they want to. And then they wonder why people reject it. And the truth of the matter is, it is a spirit of civility, which includes compassion and grace and, and mercy and love that opens doors for people to be responsive to the gospel. I've rarely seen anyone, if ever, come to Christ by being yelled at. But I've seen lots of people come to Christ through relationships and through kindness and compassion and mercy. I mean, I think one of the things that disturbs me the most about the way people perceive the church is that they have this negative perception of of us and, and our calling is to be about good news. Jesus says in Luke 4, I came to preach good news. And sometimes our message feels to people like anything but good news. It feels like judgment and condemnation. 
It feels, quite frankly, sometimes like arrogance. We've got all the answers. We're in. You're not. Maybe you can figure out how to get in, and maybe we'll help you unlock the door. But just remember, we're in, and you're not. We've got good news. We've got the greatest thing in the world to share. I mean, I could understand people feeling negative if what we were sharing with people was hard in the sense of being, uh, you know, of, of driving them to despair, of shaming them, of, of causing them to, to you know, to uh, face judgment all the time. And I'm not saying there's not judgment in the gospel. There is. But that's God's business. Our business is to give people a chance to hear the truth of the gospel which is that Christ came to save sinners like you and me and everybody else. This is the good news of the grace of God to us. And that's what we share. Good news. Philip Yancey says maybe one of the one of the best tests of our love is that people want to be around us. I mean, do people want to be around us? Or do people try to find other ways, all every way in the world to avoid us? When I look at this, this story in Acts chapter 4, and I think about the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels, uh, there is this sense of attractiveness. Now granted, there are some people, obviously, who crucify Jesus and, and they hate him. But that's almost, you could almost equate those folks to the church, not the people outside the church. There is, there is a sense in how how the ministry of Jesus goes about and how, how the people, early church, do their ministry, that, that people are drawn to them. Isn't it intriguing that when they stand before the council, one of the things they say is that they took note that they'd been with Jesus? Now, granted, I think at the heart, they're saying, we recognize these guys that when Jesus was on earth, they hung around him. But I also think there's something else going on underneath that. That what they saw in Jesus, they see in these guys too. Anybody who knew Jesus and now spends time with Peter and John and the disciples are saying they look an awful lot like Jesus. They act an awful lot like Jesus. They talk an awful lot like Jesus. I mean, what more could we want? I mean, that's... That's what we're called to be, to be like Jesus. N.T. Wright says he has, he has a friend of this day, this Jewish woman who, whenever her children babysit for Christian couples who are out working in the prison or, or helping with hospice or, or going to the youth center and working down there, that if people call and ask if they're home and where they are, these children, these Jewish children, invariably answer, oh, they're out being Christian." And I can't help but wonder if those, if those children keep babysitting for those couples long enough that their hearts are going to be open to Jesus. 
about being Christian. But it starts in our hearts. It starts with us. It starts with our relationship with Jesus and being filled with the Spirit, as we see in the disciples here. It's only after they're filled with the Spirit that comes from hungering for Jesus that they become the kind of witnesses that look like Jesus. And so Mother Teresa used to say, we, we gather and meditate on Jesus, and then we go out and look for him in disguise. But the going out begins with meditating on Jesus. And that's what we're about here. What we do here is not insignificant. It hopefully is preparing us to go out and be the kind of witnesses and representatives of Christ that we know we're called to be. And that's why we come to this table today, because at this table, we come face to face with grace. We come face to face with humility. We come face to face with the realization that anything good in us, any witness at all, anything in us that looks like Jesus is because of the grace of God in our lives. And the minute we forget that is the minute we start looking more like us than like Jesus. And it's because we fall short so often. It's because we haven't arrived. You know, that we're still living in that tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. It's because of that that we need to keep coming to the table. We need to keep coming together and be being reminded that we are people of grace so that we can go out and be people of grace. We've received grace. So now we can give grace. One of the most intriguing things in the world to me, confusing, and, and yeah, one of the most confusing things in the world to me is that Jesus doesn't leave us a book. Jesus doesn't write a book for us. We have the scriptures, but he doesn't write a book. What Jesus leaves is the church to be his witness. And when we talk about God, the great risk taker, I can't think of any greater risk that God takes than to leave the gospel in the hands of fallible people like you and me. And to say to us, you're my representatives in the world. People are going to think about me because of you. It is one of the most sobering challenging things in the world and yet it's one of the most exciting things in the world because God's given us the privilege of being bearers of good news. He's actually given us the privilege of being of his being his representatives in this world. And sometimes people respond positively, sometimes they respond negatively. But we have this great privilege. One Christian leader said, it doesn't matter what the church thinks, what, the people, what people think about the church. Their perceptions of the church don't make any difference. They're sinners. They're going to hate us. Who cares what they think? I say, it matters greatly how people view the church. Because how, we view, how they view the church is a direct link to how they're going to view God and to whether they're going to be open or close to God whether they're going to be receptive or not to God. We have the privilege, the joy 
of actually being a part of that process. What if, what if we were so filled with the Spirit because we had such a hungering for God that we actually created an atmosphere as the church where when people think about the church, instead of the kind of comments that we have heard a few moments ago, what if we heard comments that sounded maybe something like this? My friend Susan isn't afraid of my questions. She doesn't get defensive when I rant about God or the church. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to church with her this Sunday, and I'm actually excited about it. I struggle with so much in life. Even though I don't always take advantage of it, I know that the one safe place I can go and find help is in the church. My Christian friends are my favorite people to be around. They don't do some of the things that I do, but they never judge me. I love talking with them about Jesus. Although we disagree about a lot of things, Joe continues to care about me. He didn't stop being my friend when I rejected his faith. When our family went through a crisis a few years ago, the church down the street got us through it. I have a friend who's a Christian. No one is a more compassionate listener than he is. I wish I would have known earlier that not all Christians are such jerks. I had no idea. Maybe I would have believed in Jesus earlier. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy and the privilege of representing you in the world. Forgive us for the times when we have fallen short of this calling, for the times when, when we have contributed to some of the negative images of your church and subsequently you. We pray that you will remind us that all that we are and all that we have and everything that is good in us is because of your grace to us. We pray that you will continue to deepen our hunger for you, that we might be more filled with your spirit and thus represent you in more positive ways. Speaking the truth, the spirit of civility, and grace, and compassion, love. Father, as we come to this table today, we are reminded, we come face to face with the reality of your grace. We pray that you would pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, it will be food for our souls, and that we will once again Sense your grace at work in us that we desperately need. We pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. 
But this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in and as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have uh, trays of bread and cups in the back. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here and cups as well. If you need those, just let me know as you come to the front. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with the desire to be filled with His Spirit and to represent Him with grace in the world. And come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
go out and we, we represent Jesus because there is a Redeemer. And it's Jesus. And he's changed us. And we want to see him change everybody else. And so we pray, our prayer is that as God works in our lives, works through our lives, that people see that. In closing this morning, we're going to sing uh, the last hymn. It simply says, let my life speak for you, dear Lord. And that, that be our prayer as we stand and sing this closing song.
As you go into the world and your life this week, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and then and forevermore. Amen. Amen.